Welcome to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. This is a podcast where we talk all things culture, leadership and teamwork across business and sport. To all our loyal listeners, the Culture of Things podcast will now have specific episodes produced for YouTube. To ensure you don't miss out on this exclusive YouTube content, head over to YouTube, click on the subscribe button, and hit the notification bell. Now, let's get into the episode. This is my conversation with Daniel Gabler. Daniel's an author, keynote speaker, business owner, plumber, husband, father, and by his own admission, a much calmer person than what he was. The Daniel of old was like a firecracker of anger. Any small thing would light his fuse. It took him some time to realize he was struggling with his mental health and needed help. Unfortunately, statistics show people suffering from mental health-related issues is increasing. If you're struggling, please reach out to Lifeline or their equivalent in your country and speak to someone who can help. A massive part of Daniel's healing process was writing his book, The Centered Tradie. A link to buy his book is in the description below. During the interview, you'll learn how he's experienced at least six of the 10 factors that can cause mental health problems. You'll also learn the five key things he's done to improve his mental health. And although he didn't know it at the time, it aligns with what the research says works. Daniel's story is real, relatable, and he speaks from the heart. At the end of the interview, I share my three key takeaways. Let me know your thoughts on the interview. Good, bad, or ugly, we love your feedback. This is the Culture of Things podcast. I'm Brendan Rogers. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Daniel. Why is it that you think talking about mental health is so important? It's sort of been a bit taboo, hasn't it? Like no one really likes to bring light their problems. You know, it's the same old story. Guys don't like going to the doctor for things that they know they probably should. But And it really is the silent killer. No one really likes to put their hand up and say that I've got an issue. But I guess if lack of a better term, trailblazers like myself put our hands up and say, well, you know, I've got a problem and I damn sure know you do. So here's my book and have a listen and get that relatable story through. I think it creates that comfort piece for people to be able to actually talk up. What were those problems? You you'd use the term problems. What were the those mental health problems that you saw in yourself? Very much about learned experience. So for me, how I dealt with the world was very much through frustration and anger. And then off the back of that came anxiety, depression, the whole lot. So a bit of a snowball effect. And it is a problem because you feel that it is a problem. There's no solution. And the only solution being is talking up and getting either some advice, some help or direction about where to turn and yeah, get a solution to your problem. Because there is a solution. What is it? It's a journey. It's about putting down some baggage. I don't want to go into too much about it too much, but I, I don't think the easy pill necessarily is the right answer. That's it's about going to the depths of yourself, understanding yourself. So, for instance, you know, myself, I, I really think I've went undiagnosed with ADD, but rather than people, I guess, using that as a crutch, what are the huge benefits you get from that? And, you know, really understanding how I think, how I work brings huge benefit to my business, to those around me, but it also allows me to understand my weaknesses to basically get help in those those areas right so 
I know that I'm not a detail orientated person, but I've been able to employ a girl in the office who really much really is. So together the team works right there. I, I don't think anybody is fantastic at one thing, that they're great at one thing, but you can't be great at a multiple. You can be okay. And as a business owner, you have to wear certain hats for a while, but it can only take you so far. Yeah. So you've written this book, The Centered Trading, mate. You got a copy there? I do. Right. Let's right hold here. that sucker up. Beautiful. Great book. I've read it myself. And one of the things when you and I spoke on the phone a little while ago was just the relatability. And I know I could relate to so many stories in your book, either directly, some are, some was really interesting, which we'll maybe go into a little bit later. But what were the earliest signs for you? Like, were the, was it a situation? Was it a moment when you started to think, shit, you know what, I've got, a, I've got a problem. I'm identifying something here and I may need to do something about it. I'm not quite sure about it. So for me, I'd always known that I was sort of, a bit different in the way that I think even through school. And as I said in my book, like I, I never felt like exactly fit anywhere. Like I was always friendly and friends with everybody, but never felt like I fit. And that really came out in primary school. I sort of started to think that I was a bit different in the sense that there were subjects that I really didn't understand and didn't gel with, but there were subjects I was absolutely brilliant at. And that started to create a ball of frustration for myself. Then there was, learnt, there was experiences like, um, as I said in the book, I found a dead body when I was 15 years old in the surf that really, I suppose, propelled me into adulthood quite quickly because being exposed to something like that, and especially I was the one that found the guy's suicide note and, and that kind of stuff. So I guess it was a combination of, my learnt experiences and, as I've spoken about in the book, many different forms of trauma, I guess, formed me who I was, my thinking. And then I got to a stage where I had a friend of mine tap me on the shoulder and said, look, Dan, I think you should see this guy. And I guess as a very strong-willed 24, 25-year-old, you don't believe that you got a problem. I knew deep down that I didn't want to feel the way that I felt. And that was explosive rage. And I knew that wasn't really who I was. And I knew that it was damaging people around me. But to put my hand up and say that I had a problem, I, I, I really struggled with that. And as I sort of allude, for me and my experiences with multiple different suicides and suicide attempts with people around me, I never wanted to go down that path. It was, for me, it was an escape. So, I definitely planned to go and start a new life under a new name in a new state. And it got to that day and for whatever reason, I, I picked up the phone and, and rang this guy and just thought, well, let's just give this a go before I potentially make what could be one of the biggest mistakes of my life. So, yeah, I think the hard part is guys that have no experience or training in emotional intelligence and how to check in with themselves, I don't think know how to vocalize the fact that they think they might have a problem. It's probably the longest winded answer you probably could have got. <laughs> no, mate. Again, there's a bit to it as always. But if you think about that, you use the term explosive rage. Can you give our listeners and watchers a bit of a, a story around where that, what that explosive rage looks like and how that's impacted more the people around you at the time? 
Yeah, so I would go to bed at an 11, like out of 10, to the point where I I couldn't breathe. I was just so angry. Nighttime rest was okay, but I'd wake up at 9 and it wouldn't take much for me to go to a 10 or 11, you know, driving to, to work. Someone would cut me off in traffic and that would set me off. A, a builder's phone call would set me off. It just wasn't a pleasant existence. Definitely was guilty of pushing people close to me away, especially, you know, wife, parents. There was just no real deep connection with anybody. And yeah, it was through no fault other than my own. How important has that deep connection been in the healing process for you, mate? Connection for me has always been so important, even as a young child. Like, I really love that deeper conversation. I've always been sort of more mature for my age than what most kids would have been. So, yeah, those deeper conversations, even to the point while I was going through my stuff, I, I, I found that people did always find it very easy to open up and tell me things that they may never have spoken to anybody else about. So I really thrive on deep connection. I, I absolutely love it. And for me, I was, I guess, lucky and or if you believe in it, the, the universe had the path for me to, to show me a couple of people that have helped me on my healing journey that I've had really deep connections with. So that's been really cool. Can I ask you to share a little bit about your deep connection with your pop, mate? Because that's a really, that's a fantastic story and evolving story in the book that resonated with me as well. Yeah. So I met, I re- referenced both of them. So the very first part of my book, I, I referenced my, my grandfather. He's a World War II German, World War II survivor, basically. He's probably had a fair bit more of an impact on my life recently. Yeah, him and I were, were just absolutely best mates. And even to the point where, like, writing the chapter about him, I, I sat and cried. Like, it was something that I'd never released before. We'd always had just this unbelievable connection. And through family events, we lost contact probably between the ages of 12 and 18, um, which always really used to hurt me. I, I, I got to speak to him on the phone from time to time, but it was never the same. And I was 17, I was. So 17 years old, uh, I went on a schoolies trip down to the south coast of New South Wales and I said to my now wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, I'm just going to pop in and see see my grandparents. So I, I turned up on his door and it was like two old friends that have seen each other every single day for their entire lives, you know, like there was just that connection piece was straight there. We went out to lunch as a family with all my cousins and stuff, but I don't think him and I lost eye contact for the two hours we were at the lunch. And it was just one of those sliding door moments in life that I'm so unbelievably grateful that I did that because subsequently in the next couple of years, he, he passed on with melanoma. So I got to be there for that process. And yeah, I'm, I'm really unbelievably grateful about that. What gave you the impetus to take that step if you'd sort of been out of each other's lives, so to speak, for a period of time? I don't know. I've always sort of worked on intuition. And the other part of me is I've always felt like I'm the connector. So, well, I guess that part of my life has has brought me a lot of frustration because I am the one that picks up the phone to my mates constantly. How are you going? What's going on? And at times, 
it's frustrated me that I don't get that reciprocated. And it wasn't until a healer that I've seen recently said, Dan, but you have to understand they don't have the ability to do that. You do. So for me, inside my own family, I am the one that, you know, the auntie's not speaking to the other auntie. I'm the connector. My my wife's not speaking to her, whoever. I'm the connector. And I'm I'm actually becoming super grateful and even more so loving that role. So I'm definitely embracing that side of myself. The book, The Centered Tradie, how much of a healing process was that for you in writing something like that, documenting your journey? Unbelievably huge. As I reference in the book, I've I've gone down a very spiritual path, not that I, you know, stand on my soapbox and announce it to the world, but, you know, I've gone down a, a Reiki master journey that was unbelievably fulfilling in my life. But I started the book more as a journal. And I think the way my writing style is, it's very relatable. It's quite sort of conversational. It's uh, very easy. And I just sort of started to think, well, I think there's a lot more to this and there's so much more I can do with this in in the fact that it's super relatable to guys that think like myself, but also the wider community. You know, there's been stories through the book that, you know, you picked up the phone and gone, Dan, like, wow, that's, that's so relatable to me. And it wasn't until I spoke to a friend of mine's publisher and he read the book and, and rang me back the next day and said, Dan, there's definitely legs to this. I want you to finish it. So, yeah, and as I referenced earlier, you know, I've sat there, I've laughed, I've cried, I've, uh, I've gone into deep thought. It's really helped me unpack my life a bit and understand a bit more about myself. So I'd, I'd really encourage people to, like, if you don't want to go down the, the whole publishing process, but just sit down and, and write about yourself and go back, start at primary school, work your way through, and you'll probably come to, you know, like I did, you know, points in the road where you could have gone left and you should have gone right. And, yeah, it's a completely cathartic experience. What was one of those or maybe the pivotal point for you, you know, that fork in the road and you took – I guess we'll say the right path from where you where your life's at today. Definitely picking up the phone and calling Scott Franklin. That very pivotal moment. There's been many forks in the road for me, but that one culminated in the journey that I'm on now. And it's it's very interesting. My last name's German, Daniel Gabler, and Gabler actually means a fork in the road in German. So a garble is a fork. Yeah, and, yeah, the translation is basically fork in the road. So I know I'm very much living my purpose in that sense that I'm not only helping myself but helping others to, you know, take the left or take the right, which, whichever fork they need to go down. Tell us a bit about what Scott's done for you. So very early on um, in his business journey, he's basically got the, the framework that he needs around him now, but he did it at that time. It was like he took the weight of the world off my shoulders in a 45-minute session, but then it was like I was in a free fall off a cliff with a bunch of aeroplane parts, and I went on a, on a pretty big free fall because you start to question your old beliefs, your core values, who you are as a person, any stories that you've picked up along the way, it's, you, you start to question that. I'm so thankful, I guess, that I was 
a bit of a trailblazer for him to help him build the structures around him that allows people, once they have their breakthrough, to, you know, it's very important to set goals, where you want to go, who you are as a person. He's got that framework now, which is absolutely unbelievable. So it's definitely been a journey of six to seven years, but so unbelievably thankful that I've been on it. The other thing I found really fascinating, lots of fascinating and relatable things in the book, as we've said, but how much you love love languages and the book and learning about love languages, you know, to set some context, yourself and your wife, you alluded to before your girlfriend, you were, you got together quite young, you married quite young, had some challenges as young married couple, all those sorts of things. But tell us a bit how this, that book, Love Languages and Understanding, that helped your relationship. Yeah, well, I think there's so much more to it, but fundamentally in that first moment that my first business coach blew my mind it's something that we're like a lot of things we're not taught in school i think the major reason why we have so much mental health issues in the community is we're not prepared for life and i think part of that is around love like love for yourself and then how to love others and you know you just basically free-falling through the world, aren't you, until you sort of come across a coach, a mentor, somebody that can put a mirror up in front of you and go, Dan, this is you and is this what you actually like and who you want to be? And I just found the love language thing was just so unbelievably simple yet relatable. And I guess that's kind of like my book in a sense, but I've been able to since use that on other guys, you know, my wife's this, my wife's that. Yeah, but are you actually speaking to her in the way that she needs to be spoken to and and vice versa? I think a lot of marriages could have and would have survived should they have put in the right work, I guess. And I referenced that to I was so unbelievably lucky to go to a, a lunch, was it last year, maybe the year before, with a mate of mine and his rabbi. And I just, yeah, I just love learning, right? So this rabbi was talking and my mate was talking about the challenges that he was having in his marriage at the time. And in the Jewish religion, they have what's called a mezuzah. So it's a scroll above every door in a Jewish person's house. And he stopped us and said, Brent, do you you remember the story of the mezuzah? And I was, my ears pricked up. I'm like, where's this guy going? Just so insightful. So he said, Dan, a mezuzah is the scroll and back when the rabbis got together to decide how it was going to sit on the wall five rabbis wanted it put vertically five rabbis wanted it put horizontally so they came to the compromise and every mezuzah sits on the 45 degree angle above the doors and just something so unbelievably simple around compromise and how you both get a great outcome out of something was just so simple. And I think these kind of learnings have just consistently made the connection between me and my wife better. You also reference, again, a part in the book where there was, I can't remember the detail, but your wife's health issue and there was that moment of connection where you're really working towards something and it was a challenging situation for you. I don't necessarily want you to unpack that again. People can can find the book on Amazon. It's a fantastic read. I've I've reviewed it. It's, It's awesome. But how important was the quality of your relationship with your partner, your wife in this case, to your own mental health and that journey of improvement of your mental health? There's no way in the world I would be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't for her. 
And I mean that in not so much a literal sense, in the sense that I know I would be here in body on this planet, but the successes that I've had in my business, the the journey I've been on and the support I've received has really allowed me to not only heal myself, but allowed me to be out there to help others now too. So I'd say, yeah, the, the keystone in my life. Our interview will continue after this. An expression of gratitude or reciprocity, no matter how large or small, is an important part of a healthy culture and relationships. Our friends at Jangler have a great app that allows you to send a gift card with either a personal video, voice message, or funny gif. You can send it right away or schedule to send on the perfect day and time. So it can be something you set and forget. It's perfect for clients, employees, birthdays, and any celebration where you can't be there in person. It's quick, easy to send, and you can spend instantly in-store or online when you receive a card. Check it out at www.jangler.com.au. That's www.jangler.com.au. Now, you've also referenced or alluded to a couple of times, you know, that, that suicide was never an option for you. What gave you, given that yeah, mental health is such a, I guess, an unknown factor really in, for so many of us and we may have been through it or not or, you know, really hard to understand, what, what's given you the confidence now and in that time to say, well, that would never have been an option for you? I've seen what it's done time and time and time again, unfortunately. For me, I would have never wanted a 15-year-old kid to come across my body. And I know that's extremely heavy to say, but I've lived it and it's not something that I would ever, ever dream of letting happen. I know our emergency services do an amazing job, but there's only so much of a point that they can deal with that stuff too. Physically restraining my brother-in-law off, a, off an overpass definitely cemented that in my life as well. I was able to, to grab him just before he went over. And that really made me think just about the impact that, you know, that could have had on the traffic below. And it's generational too. Like if somebody comes across, you know, look at myself, I came across a body and, and that really, I guess, changed the trajectory of my life and, and my mental state too. And the impact that I've had on those around me, yeah, huge, huge. A number of people go through various situations. Again, I found so many of your stories relatable. The crazy one was staff, actually. I had golden staff and nearly lost my leg at about 19 years of age as well, which was just weird. But I went through a list of things that you know can detract, deteriorate people's mental health and trauma. So th- these are the things I ticked as far as the stories that you'd mentioned in your book, things related to trauma, isolation, bereavement, severe stress, health conditions, some injury stuff around your head, you know, losing a job and having an impact there. So you tick so many boxes <laughs> that helped deteriorate your mental health. In your experience, like you've got real lived experience that I said tick so many of those things. How many other people out there do you think are experiencing so many of these things and aren't getting the help that they need? <laughs> Mate, I reckon everybody. There's the simple ones, right? So 
trauma can be something so simple as, you know, when you're a five-year-old kid, if your parents allowed you and your older brother to have ice cream every night after dinner, and for whatever reason, he was, say, nine and you were five, he'd give himself two scoops of ice cream and you'd have one. That could be a trauma piece for a five-year-old kid. Drag that through that person's life. How does that show up now? Well, you might be having 10 scoops of ice cream after dinner, which impacts how healthy you are, which means you're probably not exercising, which probably means you're not having sex with your wife, your partner, whoever it might be. There's such a flow-on effect to just such a simple story that going back and breaking that chain can free you of your, of your life. So it, it shows up in so many different aspects. Like it doesn't have to be finding a body, uh, attending a really bad car accident to, to be, be a trauma. It can just be what's related to that person at that time in that age group and how that shows up in your life now. Let's relate that to business, mate. So, again, you talked through the book about the challenges, that severe stress, I guess, let's use that term, around being a business owner and growing a business and then reducing the size of the business and now you're involved in two businesses. How did owning a business and the challenges of business and small business impact on you and your mental health? This is probably the piece that a lot of people relate to. You start out... You come out of high school, you literally have no idea about the world. You fall into a job that generally you've got some interest in. You become really, really good at it. So you become a great technician. The next step is, <clears throat> is business ownership. And unfortunately for business owners, the learnings that you have to go through come out of your back pocket. There's no ifs, no buts, no maybes. Yes, there are people out there that you know, started businesses later on in life or, or early on and, and found success very quickly because they've had the systems and processes around them. But I think for, you know, 80 to 90% of the population of especially small business owners, the costs are huge. And it's the people that I suppose that are willing to go to those depths and to also put their hand up and, and get the help they need are the ones that come out the other side. I think for me, in a couple of times there, it really could have gone either way, but my drive and desire to make it work got me to the point that I'm here now. What did you have to do with that drive and desire? Control it is the big one. The unbelievable drive and desire that was inside of me was also extremely erratic. So now being able to control that and being clear on a vision, for lack of a better term, drops off all the other bullshit that's not really important. And it sees you propel your success a lot faster. How are you supporting your team nowadays in your plumbing business around mental health and any challenges they might be having? Yeah, so it's very much a two-pronged attack. So definitely by the leadership piece, and that's the guy's actually seeing the difference in me. So, you know, I've got a couple of guys that have been with me a fairly long time. One in particular, probably, he's probably been with me around eight, nine years now. And he's seen the unbelievable change between what was and what is. So the support piece for them is they always know that I'm happy to pay for them to go and see Scott at any time that they need. 
because that is also a two-prong attack. I get the best out of an employee, team member, and I also get the best for them. And I guess the third way I do that is through recognition. So a story of weight, a young guy working for me, I suspected of drug use, couldn't prove it, unfortunately, but until he slipped up. And the recognition piece was that the drug use is a subset or a symptom of what was actually going on. So what's he actually hiding? So we were able to sort of break down what was holding him back and and get him the help that he needs to see him flourish, I guess. So it's all about perspective too, yeah. Yeah, it is. And I guess let's not sell that story short, which I think you've done, because I think when he, from what you'd shared with me on the call a month or so ago, he'd slipped up by accidentally sending you a text message rather than his mate, I think. And there was, so you sort of had him, you know, that gotcha moment, I suppose, is what you said. But then from there, you brought him in and, you know, you basically laid out two paths. You know, there was a path of I can sack you and where does that lead to? Maybe, you know, jobless, homelessness, you know, all the other effects that can happen off the back of that. Addiction, exactly. Or, and all those things related to not helping mental health. But, you know, to cut the story short, I suppose you get the other option was I'm going to take you under your wing. You're going to get him some help. You're going to mentor him and you're going to help him through this part of his life and, and see him out the other side, which is just a fantastic leadership moment 100 percent. how is that chap doing um he's doing better i think he's heading for a little bit of a relapse if i'm 100 percent honest and i'm definitely going to help him however the the piece is you can only help someone to a point so i know that by helping him what i've done and what i will do i guess one or two more times I'm happy to do that. But it does come to a point that that's that fine line between your business ownership and being, I guess, taken advantage of. I'm happy to plant the seed for somebody, but in personal development, you cannot kick someone's door in. It's They'll do it when they're good and ready. So the seed's been planted. What he does with his life next is completely on him. I know hand on heart that I know that I've done everything in my power to possibly up on the right path and given him the tools that will be with him for life around how to pull himself out of a deep, dark place. The rest is now on him. As leaders in business, you're a leader in business, I consider myself a leader in business. What do leaders in business need to do to move forward in a positive direction around mental health and supporting people in the organizations around mental health matters? It comes down to perspective. The way that you view something as a leader can be very different about how a team member views a situation. And that comes through your own experiences, your own training. You know, take for example, myself and and probably you, I'm, I'm only surmising here that you've spent a fair bit on personal development, coaching, that kind of stuff. There's no way in the world that you or I will see a situation the same way that somebody that hasn't spent time and money in a personal development space to see a situation. There's just, there's no way. So I guess you really have to remove yourself and your emotion from that, that situation and your own triggers 
and see the other side of it. That's my really big advice. What was seeing the other side of it look like for you in your journey? I've always been very empathetic as a person, but I guess it's understanding empathy deeper, going in and actually seeing it from their understanding and listening, asking the right questions to gauge the information, to see how this person's seeing something. You know, as an example, one of my guys, I always felt like there was a huge disconnect in communication between the two of us. And it wasn't until I really sat down with him and understood how he thinks and acts and works that we were able to communicate on a level that we both get a great outcome. And that for him is he works really well off lists. So for me to ring him and bombard him with, hey, I need you to do this, 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 and this, it creates an unbelievable well of anxiety in him. Whereas if I send him a text, hey, mate, this is the list of stuff that I'd like you to get done today, it gets done, he's happy, and the both of us are communicating on a level that we both understand. Some guys, and it, this took me a little while to understand, but you know, some people like to verbalize it. So, you know, I might have had a 10-minute phone call with one of my guys and it feels like he's relaying everything back to me. And that used to frustrate me because I'm a well, and I used to be, get in, get it done, get out. Whereas if I take that extra five minutes to listen to this guy, relay everything that I've said back, he understands it, I get a better outcome, the client's happy, we move on. We don't have callbacks. So it's very much about being a leader and understanding your people. What do you every what do you do every day, mate, that helps you continue that mindset of always considering perspective? Because it is a really it's something you need to be consciously aware of. Yeah, definitely the meditation piece. And I can't say hand on heart that it, it happens every single day, but practicing gratitude is huge too. Even last night, I volunteered at Ronald McDonald House. There was me, a, a couple of my guys, I took a couple of my guys in and there was a couple of NRL players. We cooked dinner for the 60 families that are staying in the hospice at the moment. And that, mate, that creates perspective. The gratitude I have for, you know, my 18-month-old daughter, yes, she's had, you know, we've gone through the whole reflux and all that kind of, but, mate, it's nothing in comparison to see, like, mate, driving home last night, I had tears in my eyes, like, to see the kids there sitting there with tubes in their, in their noses and their mouths feeding oxygen, all that, that, that drives perspective in your life and, and real gratitude. So I think practicing gratitude is huge. And I don't necessarily do it in a sense that I'm writing it in a book every day, but there's definitely moments in every single day that I turn around and just go, oh, I really appreciate that or that's unbelievable or, how, yeah, what that looks like. What else do you do to look after yourself, you know, phys- your physical side of things or...? I had a bit of a slip in, in, in health around Easter. Um, but whatever reason, I had a, had a spike in Epstein-Barr virus. So that leveled me for a few months around my training. But for me, the exercise piece is huge. I love getting in the, in the water, swimming kilometers, mountain bike riding, weights, gym, rowing, all that kind of stuff. So I really feed off the training piece, you know, just Around Christmas, I started the 75 hard program, which I lost 12 kilos. I think 
everyone when they have a newborn baby is probably guilty of putting on a bit, bit too much pudge. But yeah, I'm back down to sort of 80, 82 kilos and yeah, feeling really good and, and fit back in the pool. So it's, it's really about showing up for yourself and, and doing those kind of things. Yeah. And what is it about tradies and mustaches, mate? You're showing <laughs> off a pretty cool one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just it runs in the family. My old man had one for like 30 years. So yeah, yeah I don't know. It just sort of came about. And every time I shave it off, the boys get stuck in me about it. So yeah, it's back. And it's I think just it'll part stay. of you now. It is. It is. It's got its own, uh, it's got its own persona. It's all good. <laughs> you shave it off for Movember, do you? Do you go the other way? Nah, but I've had some pretty cracking moustaches for November over the years, a big chopper and, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's all fun. I can't wait to see some pictures into the future, mate. What's the impact you want to have with your book, The Centred Tradie? I really want to drive the message. Uh, and I guess I, I do talk about the, the two-prong attack a lot, but for me, the book is really about connecting with the individual, but it's also allowing me to get my voice out there to change the thinking within leadership in business. So I think the book shows that and it's, yeah, it's about really giving me my voice to, to drive change. Small business in Australia is the biggest employer nationwide. And I think if we can start to change the thinking of employers, we'll start to change the mental health of employees. We're guilty as, as small business owners of not having the time, the budgets, like corporates do to spend on on the mental health side of things but it doesn't have to cost a lot it's just about making slight simple changes that make huge difference what would you say is an obvious or a an easy slight simple change to make i think how you go about connecting with your employees if you're a heavy d on the disc profile which i'm i'm sure a lot of people understand if you're a real dominant, somebody that's completely opposite to you, that will create a huge amount of anxiety to somebody. So again, it's understanding who you are as a person and how to connect with others. That's the first simple way to go about things, to change the, the culture within your business, the culture within your guys, which also creates a better culture for your employees at home. They're not coming home anxious. They're not coming home stressed. They're not coming home depressed. So that gives them the opportunity to connect with their wives, their kids, their husbands, whoever it might be. So there's such a flow and effect from you changing you. Let's say I don't have to be a fellow tradie, but you know, I could be a tradie. I could be working in a, a service type, env- other service type environment, and I'm, I'm noticing something different about one of my work colleagues what would a scenario look like where, hey, you know what, I think they may be having some challenges from a mental health perspective. What should I be aware of so that I can help others if those situations arise? I think it's those subtle, slight changes that you can start to pick up on. Like if you have somebody that's um, generally a very punctual person and they start to slip, they're, they're turning up for work late, you might notice they're in the same clothes as the day before. They might generally be a very healthy person, bring their lunches, and all of a sudden they're now not. That's a re- just, yeah, those really subtle little things that start the snowball effect. And if you can recognize it as a leader and just ask the questions, hey, is everything all right? 
that may stop somebody going into a really deep, dark spiral. And as you said earlier, it's about continuing to look for perspective or to put things in perspective. Yep. You also, I think about a month or so ago, if LinkedIn's correct, you did your first keynote. I did. How'd it go? Unbelievably well. <laughs> it was a funny story around that. I, um, I had a blocked sinus ear from the flight and I had some cold and flu tablets to try and dry it up. And um, I forgot that they were the ones that had pseudoephedrine in them. So I got up on stage and I started my talk and I looked down at my um, heart rate monitor and it was something stupid like 152 beats a minute. So that was all about controlling that situation, just slowing down how I talked, trying to bring my heart rate down. But it was so unbelievably impactful. And, you know, I, I got off the stage and I had a line of people waiting to speak to me and asking me to sign books. And, mate, that was just just a world that I'd never known or experienced and it wasn't until that night because it was a a couple of day seminar but i was on the last day i had a guy probably mid 50s um come up basically break down in tears in front of me and told me his story and you know that he really needed to go and do something about the stuff that he's hanging on to i started this journey to help change one person's life and i feel in that moment i achieved my outcome but really cemented that I've only just begun. What's the new impact you want to have? I want to change government. I want to change the way we all think, see and feel and how we perceive mental health. So in regards to mental health, what aren't we talking about that we should be? I think we should be talking about it full stop. And I don't want to go into politics and and news and stuff like that too much, but We've spoken about it for such a long time about this coronavirus and the deaths that's occurred in Australia, but it's insurmountable compared to the unfortunate suicides that we've had in that same time. That doesn't take into account the attempts. It doesn't take into account the costs of people's marriages, businesses, families. That's for me is the real pandemic. And it just doesn't get a mention. Like I was speaking to an advocate that works for Gotcha for Life. It's the charity charitable organisation set up by Gus Warland. And he mentioned the word suicide once on Breakfast TV and the flack that he copped for that was insurmountable. And it's, it just seems like it's this real taboo topic that nobody should be talking about. But it is the thing that we should be talking about. The amount of money that it costs business, the amount of heartache, pain that it causes, not only that individual but families, and it can all, it can all be prevented the more we talk about it. So let's do this crystal ball stuff. Let's just go five years. Daniel Gabler in five years. What do you hope's happening? For one, I guess, um, if I am going to go down the keynote speaking path, probably not be at uh, three o'clock on day three of the seminars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a hard one, especially having a talk after Kurt Fernley. So that was a good one. Um, <laughs> no, nah, but in all seriousness, in, in five years' time, I would love that the suicide rate in Australia is zero. And I know that is an unbelievably huge statement, but... I think 
at some stage, it definitely is achievable to start to wind the numbers back. Now, I still don't think one is acceptable, but I definitely would love to see those those numbers at zero. So I guess that's my longer-term goal. Is it achievable in five years? I'd like to say yes, but I'm not 100% sure. That's probably the, the, the best answer I can give you to that question without being a little bit um, going away and really sitting with that. It's, it's a huge, unbelievable question. Probably the best one I've ever been asked, Brendan. Thank you, mate. I love the answer you've given because it's just such a visionary approach and something that people can, thri- can strive to, which is what leadership's about as well. What do I need to do starting now to help achieve that vision? I think you're doing it really. You're speaking to the right people. You're allowing, you know, you're allowing me on your podcast to to have a voice to to hopefully impact not only your listeners, but there may be somebody out there that is going to listen to this podcast to think, you know what, I can help Dan in his quest in XYZ. And, you know, that's sort of how it really unfolds. It's not so much a yeah. I think you're doing what you what you're doing is absolutely unbelievable, and it's giving people a voice. That's awesome, mate. We'll certainly keep doing it on this show, and I have to correct you. I, I don't see it as me allowing you to come on this show. I see it as an absolute privilege having you on the show, mate. So thank you for spending time with us. Let's wrap this up around leadership impact. Who or what? You may have mentioned who. You may have mentioned what through the episode, but let's sum it up. Who or what has had the greatest impact on your leadership journey? I'd probably credit that to about five people, really. Scott, obviously, my first huge breakthrough and some real understandings about myself. As I mentioned earlier before, uh, I had done a Reiki master course, so so Bell for taking me on that journey. I've done some some spiral training with a lady by the name of Sand Mew. She is up in Noosa for anyone that wants to go down that that path. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. I definitely reference her in my book as well, Fiona. She uh, is a hypnotherapist uh, here in the Southern Shire of New South Wales. She was the one that really drove me to the understanding a little bit more about myself. She brought the Aboriginal uh, teachings to me. That was that was really, really cool. My first and, and second business coaches, they've, they've had an unbelievable impact in my life. My wife and... My first apprenticeship boss, who I'm, I'm really, really good mates with still, yeah, probably those, those guys, I really lay credit to where I am now. I guess we can think back to that phrase, it takes a village to raise a family and it takes a village to help someone like yourself and those deep connections to get through those barriers of mental health and the things we've referred to today, mate. So look, I just want to say again, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show. One of the things I did again in preparation for the show was just go through some of the research and some of the things that help people through mental health from a research perspective. This is what's been proven by the research. And so the five tips were connect with people. We'll tick what you did there. Be active. We'll tick what you did there. Learn new skills. We'll tick what you did there. Give to others. Again, you referenced the story, even just the recent one uh, last night or the, a couple of days ago, and then be present and mindfulness. So the five things that the research is saying that helps people through mental health challenges, you've done every one of them in spades. So well done. Mate, 
keep leading, keep having an impact. And I know uh, that next five years, if you don't get there, you'll go damn close, mate. Keep it up. Thanks for being a great guest on the, on the Culture of Things podcast. Thank you so unbelievably much. Pleasure, buddy. If you've ever felt lost, trapped, or in a dark place, this book is an incredible and vulnerable deep dive into the way out. That was a customer review of Daniel's book on Amazon, and it defines the book perfectly. It takes guts to share your real story with all the emotions and with the level of vulnerability needed to connect with people. Personally, I've been fortunate to not have to deal with some of the challenges Daniel shares. Although I can relate to many of the stories, and it made me think how things could have turned out differently. Stay connected with people, be active, learn new skills, give to others and be present. These are the top five things you can do to maintain your mental well-being. What will you do to maintain your own mental well-being? These are my three key takeaways from my conversation with Daniel. My first key takeaway, leaders know the power of connection. Outside of writing the centered tradie, Daniel's connection with people is what was super important for his mental wellness. Whether it's personal connections, or professional connections. The power of connection is a foundation for mental wellness, for leading yourself and for leading others. My second key takeaway, leaders have the courage to share their challenges. Daniel's courage comes through every page of his book. Although writing it became a big part of his healing, he didn't do it for that. He did it to help others and to drive change. There's no better way to start than having the courage to share your own challenges. My third key takeaway, leaders drive impactful change. To drive impactful change, you need a BHAG. A BHAG is a big, hairy, audacious goal, made famous by Jim Collins in his book Built to Last. Daniel's BHAG is zero suicides. It's compelling, needs no explanation, and people can connect to it straight away. The best leaders use a BHAG to drive impactful change. So in summary, my three key takeaways were Leaders know the power of connection. Leaders have the courage to share their challenges. And leaders drive impactful change. What were your key takeaways from the interview? Let me know at thecultureofthings.com, on YouTube, or via our socials. If you're struggling with mental health, please reach out to Lifeline or their equivalent in your country and speak to someone who can help. Thanks for joining me. And remember, the best outcome is on the other side of a genuine conversation. Thank you for listening to the Culture of Things podcast with Brendan Rogers. Please visit brendanrogers.com.au to access the show notes. If you love the Culture of Things podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, a healthy culture is your competitive advantage.